Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We hope this week's message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word together. Our mission at Reach is to see lives changed by Christ together in community by loving God, loving people, and reaching our world. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com. Greetings. Greetings. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I am known by my family and friends and the church as James. I come from a family of four brothers and two sisters. Our family are direct descendants from the tribe of Judah. I am the son of Joseph the grandson of Jacob. My father was a highly skilled furniture maker. Just about everything in our tent, if it was made of word, wood, came from his hands. I have to admit, I never really felt much about the trade. However, my older brother, he learned the trade very well. He became so good at it, the people in our village came to know him as the carpenter. My older brother was quite different than my younger brothers. He just never would do things that brothers do. <laughs> I remember when we were real young, me and my younger brothers would go out into the field and stir up the sheep, get them run around in circles, getting all confused. I could never convince Jesus to join us on such silliness. I grew up with my brother, same household. And even I was there for most of his three years that we know now was his ministry. I was there when he was preaching in the synagogue. I was there when he was ministering to the people in the streets, healing the sick, casting out demons. I was there. But I have to admit, even though I was there, I still remained a skeptic. It wasn't until his resurrection that my brothers and I became believers. That's when we were totally convinced that Jesus was the promised Messiah and the Son of God. Jesus even presented himself to me personally. And I believe it was that one visitation that impacted me so much that it changed my heart. And I was no longer a skeptic. Matter of fact, I grew into being a called leader in the Jerusalem church. As the church continued to grow, I became more and more concerned for the 12 tribes. My brothers and sisters in the early church were under such persecution. So much persecution, they fled the countryside. They spread out throughout the region. I didn't know where many of them went. But the church was in its infancy. There were things they needed to learn and things they needed to unlearn. But as a leader, I wanted to teach them. I wanted to equip them. 
I wanted to encourage them. And I needed to admonish them. For they were doing things they should not be doing and were not doing things that they should be doing. And some of the things they were saying, it should ought not to be. So I sat down and I transcribed a document. That document later became known as a letter. In my letter, I spoke of how Christian should prove his faith by his works. Yes, works, his actions, because one's works perfects their faith. Today, you might say, talk is cheap. Prove your words by your actions. Others, practice what you preach. You have heard we only believe as much of the scripture that we put into practice. Meaning, what a person does reflects what they believe. Think about things that you do today. Why do you do them? Why do you respond in a certain way? Why do you act in a certain way? A lot of it is just because of what you believe. Right or wrong. Truth or untruth. If you believe it, that's how you'll respond. My letter teaches about wisdom. And I'm not just talking about earthly wisdom. My letter taught about heavenly wisdom. Asking of the Father if you need wisdom. It talked about the careful use of the tongue. The tongue can be a blessing. can also be a weapon. King Solomon said, the tongue has power of life and death. Also reminding that truly godly service consists of active, authentic love. Such service is undefiled, outward expression or demonstration of something that is inwardly true. Namely, who God is and what you truly believe. My letter demands, yes, demands faith over favoritism. The Apostle Paul clearly proclaimed this in his letter when he spoke to the Galatians. There is neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. That includes rich and poor. That includes color your skin. We are all one as God sees us, as Christ sees us. So I conclude my letter Appealing on something that we all seem to lack and we all need more of. And that's patience and prayer. Now, as for you, dear brothers, who are waiting for the Lord's return, be patient. We must learn patience in trial, patience in work, patience in aggravation, Patience under oppression. And as the early church was learning, patience under persecution. You see, the foundation of patience is the knowledge that Christ will return and that this world and its struggles and pleasures are only for a short time. 
in the light of eternity. Consider the farmer as he sows and then waits for the precious produce of the soil. He knows he must be patient. He awaits not only for the early rains, but the latter rains. For without the latter rains, he won't get the full harvest. So you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts. Meaning strengthen your faith in Jesus, who is and will return. Don't give up. Starting with God means finishing with God. Let God in wisdom lead you in your walk, your trials, your joys, your sorrows. If we are patient now, what seems unfair or upsetting may be understood later. Patience can lead to a better understanding of God's plan in our lives. If you believe God has your life in his hand, then why would you turn impatient and snatch it out of his hand and say, I got this. I know what I need. How about having patience? Leave it in God's hand. See what he does with your life. Also, do not grumble against one another. Impatience can lead to strife and feelings of frustrations and even anger. Times of hardship can cause us to be less than loving with those around us, too. We cannot become whiners and complainers in our trials and hardship, lest we be condemned by that hardship. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Jesus comes to judge not only to judge the world, but also to assess the faithfulness of Christians. Consider this. We cannot allow hardship to make us unloving or hurtful towards others. It is often during these times of trial or impatience we find out if our tongue will offer up blessings or cursings. As I stated earlier in my letter, let us be quick to hear Slow to speak and slow to anger. We are reminded of the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. They suffered suffered hardship, yet practiced patience. You've heard of the endurance of Job. This afflicted man refused to curse God, despite his, his severe and painful suffering. We see that the end intended by the Lord that even difficult things can have outcomes of blessings. For it is written, And the Lord restore the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all he had twofold. Before I closed my letter, I had a concern to share with my brothers and sisters. I started by saying, Above all things, meaning with everything you've read, with everything I've written, you need to pay real close attention to this. So above all things, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Let me quickly explain. Scripture does not forbid 
the swearing of all oaths. Consider the marriage oath, the marriage vows, and other vows like that. But it's only against the swearing of deceptive, unwise, meaningless oaths. My letter was simply echoing what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount that was recorded by Matthew. Do not break an oath, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, do not take oaths at all, not by heaven, because it's the throne of God, not by earth, because it's its footstool, and not by Jerusalem, because it's the city of the king. And do not take an oath on your own head, for you cannot change one hair, black or white. More than this is from the evil one. What else is from the evil one? I know you would agree. There is too much of taking the name of God in dishonor and in vain without thought or reflection. This is not wise. This ought not to be. Have generations forgotten the third command of the Ten Commandments that were recorded by Moses but authored by God? It is written, you shall not use the name of Jehovah your God in vain nor use it to swear to a falsehood. Again, our tongue should spring forth rivers of blessings and not the ugliness of dishonor and disrespect. After I spoke about these oaths as my letter, I returned to the instructions on Christian character and morals. The church was still very young when I scribed my letter, probably not even 50 years old. I went on to instruct the church on how to act like a church. The churches in most regions would have established orders of elders and other leaders. But what about the people who are now new to the way, new to the faith, new to understanding in God's power, and no less important, new to prayer? Is anyone among you suffering? The suffering one needs to pray. The cheerful one needs to Sing songs of praise to God. The sick one should call for the elders of the church, asking them to pray for their need. Notice that I said the sick one should call for the elders, not wait for the elders to notice, maybe, and then go to them. Here's what I mean. Instead of becoming unhappy, depressed, complaining, or maybe even breaking out into curses, One suffering should pray to God. They should also consider involving some of the church community, the elders, Christian, close Christian brothers and sisters that you would agree in prayer and faith with. Let me ask, do you believe prayer can move God? Do you believe prayer can change his mind? Do you believe it will get him to do something he would not do otherwise? I, for one, believe that. I stated it in my letter. You do not have because you do not ask. You know, Jesus is the way. And he showed us the way by allowing access to the Father. He instructed us to ask, to seek, to knock specifically to ask anything in the name of the Lord, and your words will reach the Father's ear. 
David offered, King David offered, I called on you, for you will answer me. Oh God, incline your ear to me and hear my words. I offer the same advice for both the suffering and the one cheerful ones. Take it to the Lord. In fact, you could kind of switch the two commands around in reverse. Sufferers should also sing. And the cheerful should also pray. To sing praises refers also to public and, and group prayer, worship. Praise and singing is simply prayers to a melody. King David practiced this often. He loved to sing to God. You do that here too. Please, do all the more. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven. Anointing the sick with oil is also mentioned in the writings by Mark and Luke. They mentioned the application of oil. It is in a medicinal sense. The usefulness of olive oil as a medical agent was well known back then. However, do not be misinformed. It is God the Almighty alone who has the power to overcome sickness. Let me touch on some key points here quickly. The Greek word sick means to be weak and feeble. Further, the word sick is used throughout the New Testament scriptures. It speaks of physical sickness, and it also spoke of spiritual sickness. Listen to my words again. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. This is mostly referring to physical sickness. Likewise, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, anointing him with oil, praying over him. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. See, sin is spiritual sickness. Now, physical sickness has its struggles and trials, no doubt. Spiritual sickness will keep a person from God's best, if not even his presence. So confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness. You may be someone who feels that maybe you're not worthy, not righteous enough to approach God in prayer. I understand. Isaiah understood. This is when he wrote, but we are all as unclean things, and all our righteousness is filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf in our iniquities, like the wind have taken us away. But those in the faith know the Spirit of God and His righteousness now lives within us. As a new creation, hallelujah, with his righteousness, a believer's prayers can accomplish much. Yes, you can. 
Consider Elijah. He was human. He was flesh and mortal just like us. Yet he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain. And for three and a half years, it didn't rain a drop. And then he prayed that it would rain. And it did rain. And the showers came and everything started to grow again. Now, when I speak of matters of prayer, consider this would also include the readings of the Holy Scriptures. Now, I know many Christians struggle with prayer and spending time in the Word. It does not matter if it's personal prayer or praying with a group and fellowship. You see, in most cases, it's not sin that keeps us from praying. No. It does not matter if it's personal prayer or group prayer. What usually gets in the way are our normal activities, our routines, also important things. It's just doing the things that a responsible parent or even ministry leader does. Those things can conflict with spending time with God. So we must be intentional. Just like if you were feeling ill physically, what would you do? You would intentionally schedule time with a doctor. Something that would help you with that physical feeling. So if you're feeling spiritually ill, why wouldn't you intentionally set aside time to seek the Father God and his spirit? Does it sound like I speak of prayer as being an obligation or a duty? Well, possibly. But consider this, dear friend. Prayer is no more of a duty than a woodsman who takes the time to sharpen his axe before he goes and lays it at the root of the tree. Prayer is no more of a duty than the farmer who gets up early in the morning to sow his seed, prepare the land before the heat of the new day sun. Prayer And reading the scriptures is no more a duty than a warrior, a soldier, that takes up his sword and takes up his shield before he goes on the battlefield. And prayer is no more of a duty than a young child, maybe feeling lonely, maybe hurting. And he crawls into their father's lap for comfort. And an embrace. So is prayer a duty? I tell you, it's a necessity for any child of God who desires no needs, all that God is and could be in their walk as a Christian. Prayer helps build that relationship with your heavenly father, just like if you were talking to your earthly father. Without that communication, how would, the develop, how would the relationship develop? Do you seek wisdom? Pray. Do you seek patience? Pray. Do you desire more of God, his fellowship, his truth, 
His being in your life. The Spirit of God living in you. Wisdom. Pray the Scriptures. Consider this. As silly as it sounds. Those who believe that prayer works, they do pray. Those that have a desire to see prayer work should pray. Let me say it again. Those who believe prayer works, they do pray. But those that have a desire, a yearning, a longing to see prayer work in their lives should pray. Prayer is a matter of heart, not head. Lord, I give you my heart before I give you my knees. So I commend you for intentionally spending time, valuable time in personal prayer. Some call it their daily devotional. Other calls it their quiet time. I call it a refreshing dip into the river of living waters, soothing my soul and refreshing my spirit. Can you picture that? I also commend and compliment you for coming together as a church family, such like the early church did even when they were under persecution. They came together in group prayer. Understand there is such a prayer gathering here tomorrow, 7 p.m. There's prayer cards that they spoke about that you can fill out a prayer request, and these will be prayed over. But better yet, just show up. Dear friends, time in God's presence is never wasted time. I would like to invite the saints who lead us in praise and worship to come forward. And I closed my letter with this one final thought. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. The Apostle Paul instructed the Galatians in a similar way. Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, are to restore such a person in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to themselves, so that you are not attempted as well. Friends, this is the message that we've heard from the beginning, that we are to love one another. We are to comfort one another. We are to bear one another's burdens, cry with one another, rejoice with one another, pray for one another. And when needed, we should make every attempt to go and rescue anyone who may have wandered away, maybe into sin. We are reminded by Paul in his letter to the Hebrews, the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. For God's children, this name may not be an easy task, but necessary that the wonder may return to Christ. 
I've heard it referred to as extending tough love. But heck, I've taken enough of, the, enough of your time. I know you're eager to pray again with music and singing. And I shall not postpone that any longer for such a wonderful moment for you. And uh, Oh yes, there will be a prayer team in the back. Both during the psalm as well as a short time afterwards. They would love to pray with you. If you're dealing with any kind of pain, any kind of illness something you're suffering with. Go seek one out. Let them pray for you. And the two of you will present that need to our great healer. If you're dealing with any kind of addiction or harmful dependency, let us unite in prayer and seek God the Almighty that will crush that addiction under our feet. Let me leave you with this blessing from Psalms. The Lord is your protector. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time and forever. Let me pray for us. Father God, we are your church. The earlier church was under such persecution. The latter church is under even more persecution. Generations after generations. It's like we've forgotten what was important. It's like we have forgotten what was right. What was ethical? What was proper? And Lord, we have generations that will follow us. And Lord, we need to know by your wisdom how do we capture those generations? How do we help those future generations come to know you as we do and as we need? Father God, I thank you for your love. It's because of your love that this is what it's all about. For you loved the world so much, you gave your Son to save us, to heal us, to provide a way for us. For this world is passing away. And our hope and our look is for the future. Permeate our hearts with that, Lord God. Let us never lose sight of that. So, Father God, be with us. Help us as we try and earnestly seek to walk out our faith. We need your Holy Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. Holy Spirit, we give you all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church podcast. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. 
You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com. 